I want to take a second to remind you to sign up for the Poso Daily Brief. It is completely free. It'll be one email that's sent to you every day. You can stop the endless scrolling trying to find out what's going on in your world. We will have this delivered directly to you totally for free. Go to humanevents.com slash Poso. Sign up today. It's called the Poso Daily Brief. Read what I read for show prep. You will not regret it. Humanevents.com slash Poso. Totally free. The Poso Daily Brief. This is what happens when the fourth turning meets fifth generation warfare. A commentator, international social media sensation, and former Navy intelligence veteran. This is Human Events with your host, Jack Posobiec. Deliver us from evil. The violence of January the 6th. And since that day, more than 1,200 people have been charged for their assault on the Capitol. Nearly 900 of them have been convicted or pled guilty. Collectively, to date, they have been sentenced to more than 840 years in prison. No middle ground here. You are either for the continuation of American democracy, or you're for a man who has promised to terminate the Constitution, execute generals, ban uh, entire news networks, uh, and, and, and exact revenge. One of the biggest issues that we have when it comes to immigration is the fact that we have an undocumented population. Mm -hmm. Now, you can fix that by trying to build a wall, or you can fix that by trying to document people and create a path to citizenship. A California law banning people from carrying firearms in most public places, even with the concealed carry permit, is now in effect. Here is a draft of the resolution just released this morning. In two days, a House panel will begin those contempt proceedings. A day later, Hunter Biden will be before a federal judge in California to answer for tax charges. Trump plans to invoke the Insurrections Act, Insurrection Act which will allow him to deploy, which is not allowed to do in ordinary circumstances, allow him to deploy U.S. military forces on the streets of America. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin remains hospitalized this morning at Walter Reed National Military Medical Center as the Pentagon faces growing backlash over its failure to immediately disclose Austin's hospital stay. Austin was admitted to the ICU on January 1st, but President Biden was not made aware until last Thursday. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard today's edition of Human Events Daily, live from Washington, D.C. Guys, get that, get that graphic up again about Lloyd Austin there, because we need to talk about this. The U.S. Secretary of Defense has been secretly hospitalized now, for over a week, today is January 8th, 2024, Anno Domini, over a week, secretly hospitalized. Not only secret from the American people, but secret, apparently so secret, that even the administration didn't know. That even, potentially, members of the military didn't know. Now, I'll tell you something. I've got friends that are deployed right now in areas that have received incoming, shall we say, since the events of October 7th. They had no idea about this. 
The combatant commanders don't know about this. The U.S. Navy is taking incoming right now in the Red Sea. you got carrier battle groups that are trying to pick up the Houthi drones, and they're doing a good job of that. But what happens, what happens when they start targeting U.S. destroyers, the Arleigh Burke destroyers out there, the same way they targeted and took out a Russian destroyer in the Black Sea? You think that technology isn't out there? It was just used on the Russian destroyer, the Moskva. Took out the Black Sea. It's actually a cruiser. Okay. What happens when a U.S. destroyer or a U.S. cruiser, God forbid a U.S. carrier, is taken out by drones, undersea, underwater vehicles, undersea drones? This is a nightmare. The Biden administration has no idea what's going on. Congress is apparently asleep at the wheel at this. Lloyd Austin should step down immediately. He needs to be prosecuted. All of his aides need to be prosecuted. Anyone who's involved with covering this up, they're all lying to you. The Biden, we got reports of the Biden administration. They're losing it. They're absolutely losing it, but they don't know what to do because they're desperate to stay uncontrolled up at the post-millennial. We have the story today. They're embarrassed about what's going on. Ten current and former U.S. officials say that the whole situation has become an embarrassment for the administration. This is what they said was going on behind the scenes in the Kremlin. They said that Putin was in a coma. They said that Shoigu, Sergei Shoigu, the Russian Minister of Defense, they claimed that he was incapacitated. Well, it turns out it's our military leadership that's completely incapacitated and we're we are the ones that are losing it lloyd austin the nation's most prominent diversity hire has gone awol where did our diversity hire go we know we are the dei lgbt gay soviet union get used to it folks the doors are flying off of brand new airplanes the same way the doors are flying off the biden administration Black Boyle from Breitbart joins us next here at Human Events Daily. Ladies and gentlemen, one of the best ways that you can support us here at Human Events and the work that we do is subscribing to us on our Rumble channel. Make sure you're subscribed. You hit the notifications so you'll never miss a clip. You'll never miss a new live episode, and we're putting them out every single day of the week. Good. I rolled with bloods, and then boys had a saying. You can't be listening to all that slappy whack, trimatazalitzabam ship, nippy bam bam, like human events with Jack Posobic. All right, Jack Posobic back here live, human events daily. We're in Washington, D.C. Very excited to uh, bring on, I believe the first time on human events daily, Matthew Boyle. He is the Washington bureau chief of Breitbart News joining us today. Matt, we are one week out from the Iowa caucuses, and it's, it's interesting because you don't really feel the same type of buzz or chatter ahead of an Iowa caucuses, at least I'm feeling, uh, of the head of a competitive Iowa caucus that you usually would on the Republican side. Is that your mood as well and handicap for us what we're going to see in one week's time? Yeah, well, look, uh, case in point, in 2016 in the Iowa caucuses for about a week leading up to it, I was in Des Moines and throughout the state of Iowa. Uh, this week, I'm not going to Iowa. I'm uh, the, handling everything from at home down here in Florida. Uh, but the fact is, is that 
uh, I think we kind of get a sense of we know who's going to win the Iowa caucuses. The question is, is by how much? Uh, and that person is President Trump. Uh, I think he is on the glide path to victory uh, heading into next week. Uh, the, if he can put up a, a really historic margin over who's second, uh, and then also who is second, all kind of comes into play about what happens next, because then eight days later is the New Hampshire primary. Uh, in New Hampshire, uh, again, President Trump is expected to win there. Uh, if he wins both of them and by comfortable margins, it's probably over in the next two weeks. The next, I mean, literally 15 days from now, we could have a presumptive Republican nominee formally uh, in President Trump, depending on how big he wins those two states by. But if it's close, then you might see some of these globalist types like Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley try to hang on and uh, through Super Tuesday. So the, um, I, I think the question is, is how big of a margin does President Trump win these first two states by? Well, I think that's right. And so this is something that, and I, I was on with Charlie Kirk the other day, and, and he and I both um, expressed this position that if, basically is saying that if Trump doesn't perform exactly the way that the polls say that he will, 50%, 60%, et cetera, then the DeSantis campaign's response, even if and when, by the way, they lose the Iowa caucus, um, they will come out and say Trump underperformed. And then you'll start getting this narrative of the magic math. And I call the magic math narrative this same thing that we heard back, and you remember this back in 2016, and it was the Ted Cruz guys were using this, this idea that magic math would carry them all the way magically to uh, potential, not, not necessarily cinching the nomination before the convention, then it was a Cleveland, uh, this time around would be Milwaukee, but it, instead that potentially forcing a floor vote. Are you seeing some of those same types of trends uh, begin to bridle up within the primary right now? I don't, I haven't really heard that much talk about a brokered convention like we did in 2016. Now, I'm not saying that we won't hear that uh, in the coming weeks, depending on how close this is. But look, if President Trump does as expected, as, as the polls indicate that he will, and puts up historic margins in Iowa, New Hampshire, uh, later Nevada, uh, and then South Carolina, then I don't think that you're going to get to that point where you start talking about that. That's when people like Haley and DeSantis start looking for the exits and start looking for a way out and off ramp. Uh, so we'll see what happens. It's a week away. Um, I think that President Trump is definitely in the driver's seat here, though. Uh, no doubt about it. Uh, he commands enormous attention. Look, I spent two hours with President Trump uh, the, just before the new year. Uh, we did a huge interview with him at Breitbart. We covered all sorts of different topics. And the uh, anybody that says that he's not uh, the, the, with it anymore, I mean, they're just so wrong. I mean, this guy is... Uh, well, no, Matt, Matt he's, he's senile. Been, he doesn't even know how magnets work, apparently. Again, the, 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 all these attacks you keep seeing, you start seeing more and more desperation the closer you get. So just be careful, believe in the fake news. Wait till you see it confirmed from a place like Breitbart or like you guys at Human Events before you really go with something like that. Uh, but the fact is, is that I, I think he's, his fastball is as fast as ever. He can hit the ball as far uh, as he's ever hit it. And I think that Trump is definitely in the driver's seat here. Uh, and then the real fight is going to come to the general election in November. Now, this was something that was going, making the rounds, and I called you over the weekend. I think I called you on, like, New Year's Day because I saw this 
uh, your piece dropped where President Trump said something to you that really shocked a lot of people, um, was going around, and the headline was that he said that he's going to make a play not just for the traditional swing states or like the, the recent swing states that we've seen with the census of, you know, Rust Belt, Arizona, and Georgia, but that he's going to be putting resources potentially into places like Virginia. I would argue Virginia is in play, but even so far as New York, New Jersey, and New Mexico, uh, and Minnesota. So what was your take on that, and, and what, what was the context where you had that discussion? Yeah, so look, I, uh, so it was uh, at Mar-a-Lago, it was me, Alex, and Alex Marlowe, our editor-in-chief at Breitbart. So the two of us are sitting there with President Trump are doing a big, long print interview, so about two and a half hours. And this is one of the things that President Trump brought up in the middle of the conversation. He's like, you know, I'm going to make a heavy play for, uh, those are his words, he said, I'm going to make a heavy play uh, for New York, New Jersey, Virginia, Minnesota, and New Mexico. Now, these are states Republicans haven't won in a long time. Um, the last time Republicans won New Mexico or Virginia was uh, in George Bush's reelection in 2004. The last time Republicans won New York or New, uh, New Jersey, uh, uh, New York was when Reagan won re-election, and New Jersey was in 1988 uh, with uh, uh, George H.W. Bush. And the last time they won Minnesota was all the way back in 1972. Uh, so it's been a long time since Republicans won any of those states. Now. I think each one of them is a little bit different of a case. Uh, I think Virginia is definitely in play. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Uh, the polls show it tight there. Uh, the uh, Republicans just won the governor's race in two, 2021. It's a state Republicans won for 50 years, with one exception, uh, all the way up until Barack Obama's election in 2008. Uh, so Republicans, uh, and I know the Democrats are worried about Virginia. Minnesota is a state that's been trending back towards the Republicans in recent elections. In fact, if you look at the 2016 results, the third party candidates actually got more than the margin uh, between uh, Tr uh, Hillary and uh, Trump. Hillary ended up winning it, but the uh, the uh, uh, Evan McMuffin and the Libertarian candidate there, uh, uh, Gary Johnson, each of them both got uh, more than the margin. So it's definitely in, in similar type of a situation in New Mexico that year, by the way, in 2016. Now, the margins moved back the other way in 2020. Uh, it will be a tough. Those will both be tough uh, states for for Trump, but they they are possibly winnable. So especially in Minnesota, especially which what with what, what you're seeing with the Muslim vote in places like Minnesota and Michigan, um, President Trump is leading Joe Biden in Michigan uh, in several surveys, and I think that you might see a similar phenomenon in Minnesota. So it's definitely doable. As for New York and New Jersey. A little bit more tough to do there, though those are states that are near and dear to President Trump's heart. Uh, president Trump obviously lived in New York City for his entire adult life until he became the president of the United States. Uh, and he currently has, since he left the White House, spent his summers in Bedminster, New Jersey, his golf course there, uh, living there. Uh, so those are both states that he very much cares about and very much identifies with local people. He talked about I possibly Madison Square Garden for a big rally. So um, the I, I, it's tough, but you know you never know. I I think you should do it. Trump selling out the garden in 2024. That's 2024 energy, man. I'll go if you go. And you know what you just said there, though. If you could break that down for us, the this Muslim vote and the third party candidate um, situation where we're looking at some of these, uh, Michigan, obviously this is a huge, uh, a huge constituency in Minnesota. People need to remember that's Ilhan Omar's district. She's in the, um, she's in the fifth over there 
in Minnesota. So again, you have these constituencies. Why are they souring on Biden? I think that they the they don't like how he's handling the uh, it, it, the ten seven response uh, with Israel uh, in response to Hamas. They they think he's Israel, right? So this is a really tough position for Biden to navigate. He's got a you know a high wire act balancing act here uh, where he's got uh, a whole ton of Jewish Democrats on one side of the party, and then you have the Muslim Democrats on the other side of the party, uh, and those two groups do not see eye to eye on this issue. So the longer that this plays out, uh, Israel's war against Hamas uh, and their response to the 10-7 attack, uh, the worse it gets for Biden. Uh, you're seeing more and more of the radical left continue to try to put pressure on Biden to call for a ceasefire. If Biden does that, then he's going to lose the other side of the party. So he's got a really tough position that he's in here, uh, and it's really splitting the Democrat base. Um, interestingly, you see someone like Fetterman in Pennsylvania, uh, uh, really aggressively pro-Israel uh, out there, uh, trying to uh, uh, bridge the gap there, I guess, for Democrats and really uh, hold their team together. Uh, but uh, I, I do think that the Biden's, uh, you know, ambivalent position, right, like, and you know, sending mixed messages to the Israelis, uh, has really undercut their coalition and divided their side. And they've got a real problem with enthusiasm, especially among the hard left, uh, the black community, the Muslim community, uh, the Hispanic community, et cetera. So Democrats have a serious coalition problem, union workers, right? Like, they, And that's another thing we talked about with President Trump. President Trump thinks he's eating into their coalition little bit by little bit. And you saw this uh, just last week, I think it was, uh, President Trump uh, posted a picture of himself. He had just met with the Teamsters Union president, right? So um, uh, Trump is cutting into union workers, black and Hispanic wor uh, voters, uh, and uh, the Democrats have enthusiasm problems combined with that, which is why you see Biden today at a black church in South Carolina trying to fire up the Democrat base. As for whether or not he's successful, we'll see. I think that's exactly right. Matt Boyle, we're, gonna, we're coming up on a break, but when we come back, I want to talk to Maury to you about this idea about Trump meeting with the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, what that means for the general election, and maybe talk a little House and Senate when we come back here at Human Events Daily. Because remember, folks, this is an election year, and we're going to report it like one. Stay tuned. Be right back. You talk about influencers. These are influencers, and uh, they're friends of mine, Jack. So, where's Jack? Jack, he's done a great job. All right, Jack Persobic back here live, Human Events Daily, talking to Matt Boyle from Breitbart News. He is their Washington bureau chief. You want the numbers in an election year, Matt Boyle is the man you need to go to, and that's why we brought him on. Matt, we're talking about now, we, you mentioned, real quick, I want to get into House and Senate, but before we go there, you, you left off a little bit. You talked about the Trump meeting with the head of the International uh, Teamsters Union Talk to me about this support for Trump among union workers. Now, we know, of course, that this has been a broad part of the Trump coalition in places like Pennsylvania, my home commonwealth. Uh, this, of course, is I know you lived in Pennsylvania for some time as well. I know this is an area that is it's uh, uh, I would say the union vote is, is an era, a point of consternation for a lot of Republicans that because Trump seems to be able to get it. And nobody else seems to be able to. Is he still able to cross that bridge? And, and how is he going to do that? Yeah, well, look, I think he is crossing that bridge. 
match. I mean, look at the what, what we saw this play out during the UAW strike, and now the strike's over. Uh, but the workers there, I think the rank and file workers among the UAW are going to go something like uh, you know seven or eight to one for Trump over Biden. I don't think the rank and file workers are going to go for the Democrats. Uh, now, the the union leadership, Sean Fain of the UAW, he's a big Democrat. He's going to vote for Biden. He's going to endorse Biden eventually. He hasn't done it yet. Uh, but the point is that uh, those guys, uh, the, the, the political leadership, will go for Biden. And Republicans have long talked about this. They've long talked about trying to connect with union workers, yet they, they won't do the policies that union workers want to see that stick up for the American worker, like America, uh, America first trade policy, like America first immigration policy. Uh, you see too many Republicans, uh, you know, uh, they throw out some pro-worker rhetoric, but then their policies match what the Chamber of Commerce and the business interests want, uh, you know, the Nikki Haley's and the Ron DeSantis's and the the Jeb Bushes and the Marco Rubio's of the world. Rubio's actually gotten a lot better since 2016, if you go back and look at some of the stuff he talks about now. Uh, but the point is, is that um, uh, Trump actually does, right? Like, he goes out there. I mean, look at what he did with regard to the negotiating with Mexico uh, and Canada, with the USMCA that replaced NAFTA, right? Like, politicians have talked about bashing NAFTA from both parties for forever, and nobody actually did anything about it, and then Trump did. Right, Trump ripped up NAFTA, uh, and he brought in the USMCA. Uh, look at what he did with the trade deals, right? Like around the world, right? He ripped up the TPP. Uh, so I do think that Trump actually do is doing what Republicans long talked about and never actually were able to accomplish. He's actually connecting with union workers, and he's cutting into the Democratic coalition there. I think it's exactly right. Now let's let's switch gears a little bit because people I think forget sometimes that it's not just a presidential race. We've also got down ticket. We've got gubernatorial races, and we've got House and Senate. And I'm not going to ask you for predictions, but I'll just say your analysis based on that. Where are where do things look like they're headed, and where are potentially way, uh, places where this could help President Trump's chances going into the general? Yeah, well, look, uh, the House is going to come down to who who wins the presidency, I think, in a big way, right? If President Trump wins uh, another term, I think the Republicans' chances for holding their House majority or perhaps possibly even adding to their very slim majority uh, are bolstered in a big way. Uh, but if Joe Biden wins re-election, uh, then the Democrats will probably take the House with it, right? Like, So it really comes down to that. Uh, it's going to be a wave election one way or the other. Uh, as for the Senate, the Senate map is very, very good for the Republicans. Uh, the Republicans uh, enter this election down 51-49. Uh, uh, they, uh, they have to take a net two seats or one seat plus the White House uh, to get back the U.S. Senate majority, they've already got the one seat, right? Like West Virginia, Joe Manchin not running for re-election means that Governor Jim Justice, the Republican governor there and Republican Senate candidate and likely Republican nominee for Senate, uh, is going to coast into that Senate Senate election in West Virginia. So that gets the, to 50-50. So if Republicans take the White House or one more seat, they get the Senate majority. Uh, the, the two best pickup opportunities beyond West Virginia are Ohio and Montana. Uh, President Trump has endorsed uh, Bernie Marino, businessman in, uh, in Ohio Senate race. There are two other candidates running, uh, but uh, Bernie Marino seems to be the guy. Jim Jordan just endorsed him this morning, right? Like, so uh, Bernie Marino is looking very strong, very much like a J.D. Vance type candidate. Uh, and I think uh, things are looking good for him there. So we'll see how that one shakes out. But it looks uh, that's going to be a tough general election fight, though. They're going to have to go up against Sherrod Brown. And Sherrod Brown is somebody who has done a lot of campaigning for many years, 
uh, with that working class community we're talking about in Ohio. Uh, so that's going to be a tough race for the general election. But it is winnable for the Republicans if they work hard uh, and they get there and do it. Uh, as for Montana, uh, there's one Republican running right now for the U.S. Senate. That's Tim Sheehy. Uh, for a retired Navy SEAL and businessman. Um, he seems to have most of the party supporting him. He hasn't gotten Trump's endorsement yet, though I would expect that that comes eventually. Uh, there's another one talking about running, possibly Matt Rosendale, um, but uh, he's got major problems and uh, he held off on endorsing Trump and some of his antics in the House have cost him a lot of credibility. Uh, so it looks like she was the guy up there. But again, another tough race. They're gonna have to face, whoever wins the nomination has to face uh, Senator John Tester, uh, the Democrat who has won several terms. He actually beat Rosendale last time in 2018 uh, in a, a, a deep red state, but he's a Democrat who's won a lot. Uh, there are other pickup opportunities for Republicans. Arizona, Carrie Lake is running out there. Uh, you've got uh, uh, Michigan, Wisconsin, uh, Pennsylvania uh, is another one. Uh, Nevada is another one. So there's plenty of other pickup opportunities for Republicans. Uh, there's talk of, uh, you know, potential Republican candidates. Well, well, wait, you think, wait, wait, talk to me about Pennsylvania. Talk to me about that. You think, so and it looks like McCormick's going to be the guy on the Republican side. Um, there could be some others that get in, but I, I'll just say I think McCormick's going to be the guy. Uh, but you're going, you're still going up against Casey, and going up against Casey in the state of Pennsylvania, Commonwealth Pennsylvania, is a huge issue because of the institutional value of that name, uh, basically because of his his father being a governor there, very popular governor. A lot of people still think that it's him as the senator, and because of the history of ticket splitting in Pennsylvania, where you could very well see. Uh, you could see Trump win the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, but then Bob Casey get reelected. So what's your what's your sense there? Uh, look, I think that uh, Trump will run ahead of wherever McCormick is. And I think you're right that McCormick will be the guy uh, for the Republican side. Uh, that being said, I don't think it will be that much further ahead. I think that McCormick is going to be a strong general election candidate. He has a lot of resources. Uh, he's right on all the issues. He's got the right conservative backers behind him. Uh, heading into this race. Uh, and I think that Casey's slipping a little bit. I do think he has the institutional uh, power that you're talking about there with the Casey name. Uh, but there's a reason why John Fetterman was walking around with a cutout of his co-senator from Pennsylvania's face on his shoulder all year before he was hospitalized earlier in the year. It's because John Fetterman knows that his fellow senator from Pennsylvania, Bob Casey, is not that popular back home. Uh, and Fetterman, you know, say what you will about the guy, he does connect with the, you know, the, re the regular people and the working class folks, and he gets it. And there's a reason why the Democrats are panicking about that one. Um, you know, there's possible other pickup opportunities in other places. Virginia has a Senate race up, too. You never know. Uh, uh, New Jersey has one up, right? Like, I don't know what happens with Bob Menendez's seat. Uh, there's several other Democrats running for it. Menendez hasn't formally announced re-election, though. Every sign is that he intends to run, but... Uh, you know, there's the first lady of New Jersey's running and there's another congressman running. And uh, so that's going to be a mess for the Democrats, especially as Menendez is totally uh, in trouble again with all of his indictments. So there's plenty of pickup opportunities for Republicans in the Senate. Uh, and and oh, the only two places they're really playing defense are Florida and Texas. Right. Rick Scott and Ted Cruz, assuming those two guys hold on, then it's full on offense for, for the Republicans around the board. And they could. They could really run up the score. Depending on what happens in the presidential election, they could possibly get close to 60. I mean, I don't know about 60, but they could get into the mid to high 50s if they really play their cards right uh, over the course of the next year. But this gets to 
the Republican candidates need to get along with and work well with President Trump, uh, assuming Trump is going to be the Republican nominee, uh, the two states in 2016 where the Republican Senate candidate and Trump both lost, the battleground states, were Nevada and New Hampshire. And in both of those cases, the Republican Senate candidate unendorsed Trump after Access Hollywood. So the Republican Senate candidates around the country need to understand that they should not fall for media attacks on President Trump and leftist attacks. Uh, and if they stick together, they win together. I call it the unholy alliance between the Republican establishment Senate candidates and Trump. Uh, if they stick together, they win together. If they, if they split apart, they fall together. They fall apart uh, and they both lose. Now, what do you think? What is your sense on, you know, obviously we got it. We had this huge issue with mail-in ballots and the COVID stuff all in 2020. Just real quick, two minutes left. Can you talk a little bit about that? And in terms of, I guess this is more the tactical operational picture as we go into the, uh, the election this year. Yeah, look, uh, the Democrats got one of those, right? They fired their silver bullet in 2020, right? Like they, they, they shot the orange man, they wounded him, but they left him alive, right? Like, and the uh, as for uh, 2024, engage in all sorts of stuff. It's not like 2020 was anything new, right? Like they, they've done these types of things before, but in terms of a mass national action. Uh, they, they, they got one of those, right? Like people are aware of it now. They're on the lookout for it. Republicans are prepared for it legally. Uh, you see the Republican Party file lawsuits against stuff whenever it happens, and they're moving quickly in response to it. In addition to that, the Republican National Committee has their whole bank your vote thing going on. Uh, so the Republicans are a little bit more prepared and on guard for it now, maybe not as much as they should be. Uh, but the fact is, is that uh, I'm less concerned about that in this election, though I am still concerned, don't get me wrong. But in fact, it's one of the things we talked with about President, with President Trump about uh, when we were with him a couple weeks ago. Uh, he said, uh, the way to beat them is to swamp them at the polls, right? The, the beat, the, you know, beat them by a margin bigger than the cheating, right? Like is the way he put it. And so swamp them. Uh, so how do you swamp them? Uh, that means that, uh, you know, you got to run up the score in these places. You got to really beat the Democrats in the, uh, across the board. Uh, but there's only so much they can get away with. And I don't think they'll be able to, to do what they did in 2020 again. I think it's exactly right. Matthew Boyle, where can people go to follow you and your work as well as to read your uh, your selections from this incredible interview with President Trump that you and Alex Marlowe conducted? Yeah, so they can just go to Breitbart.com. That's B-R-E-I-T-B-A-R-T.com or just follow me on True Social. I put out a lot of links out there uh, at Real Matt Boyle on True Social. At Real Matt Boyle at Truth Social. Matt, thank you as much. Always a pleasure. Going to have to have you on. We might have to do, we might have to do Matthew Boyle Mondays here on Human Events Daily coming up because this year is going to be all about the numbers. Someone else who follows the numbers religiously is Natalie Winters. She will join us next. Human Events Daily continues. Where's Jack? Where's Jack? Where is he? Jack, I want to see you. Great job, Jack. Thank you. What a job you do. You know, we have an incredible thing. We're always talking about the fake news and the bad, but we have guys, and these are the guys who should be getting Pulitzer's. All right, Jack Posobiec back live, Human Events Daily. Uh, we are very excited now to bring back on Natalie Winters of The War Room. Natalie, you've got a massive story that you broke all about Burisma. So even before, right, even before 
the Ukraine invasion, before Zelensky was even president, before the 2020 election, all the way back in 2019, there was a little company called Burisma. And there was a man named Donald Trump, and he picked up the phone, and he said to the president of Ukraine, I'd like you to look into that company. Could you look into them? Because it feels like they're going into, you know, they're getting into problems, they're getting into trouble. And then it turns out that that perfect phone call resulted in the impeachment of the president of the United States. Uh, I would argue that the fallout from that phone call resulted in the Ukraine war as well, but that's a longer story. Natalie, how's it going? Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. <laughs> and what is up with the latest from Burisma? Hi, thank you so much for having me. I feel like I took a, a brief sabbatical from this show. So I'm, I'm happy that I'm welcome back. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, but no, this this story really is big and it proves something that you know, that I know, that your audience knows all too well. Donald Trump was right to make that phone call. It was a perfect phone call because Burisma is, is chock full of corruption. And the latest story we have up on my Twitter at War Room, I think details this and honestly has very, very, very negative legal implications for Hunter Biden. So people know Burisma is the Ukrainian oil, gas, energy giant that was paying Hunter Biden upwards of $80,000 a month to sit on their board, ostensibly to get meetings, to get connections uh, with people in D.C. to try to prevent an investigation into the company for its corrupt business activities. Now, what is so interesting, just a few days ago, uh, a white shoe law firm, Kravath, actually registered retroactively with the Foreign Agent Registration Act uh, for the work that they were carrying out on behalf of Burisma. Now, this is interesting for two reasons. One, I think case closed, final nail in the coffin for Hunter Biden, proving that he violated FARA because he was engaged in the same type of activities that this law firm, not even necessarily a lobbying firm, was. But even more interesting, contained in the FARA filing, the type of people that they were arranging meetings with within the then Obama administration. There's one name there that people in this audience should know very well uh, of Trump impeachment fame. All these things seem to run together. Marie Ivanovich was one of the meetings. Two of the other people uh, are now currently working in the Biden regime, sort of in the space of energy and resources. Um, and I think that that is the, the other import, important point and, and takeaway from this story is that the mainstream media, Democrats love to say that, you know, word crazy deranged people for going after Hunter Biden. Uh, you know, it has nothing to do with Joe Biden. But the messaging aspect here and what's really important to note is that there are lasting ramifications of the business deals that Hunter Biden has pursued, not just in China, but in Ukraine. And I think you're seeing that play out in the Ukraine war now. The Biden regime is so compromised because of these business deals uh, that they can't actively or fairly adjudicate uh, what's going on. And that's why you see these these aid payments continuing to go over there, uh, because not only is it ostensibly money laundering, but it's, it's taxpayer subsidized bribes, I think, uh, that they're paying over to Ukraine to keep a lot of these people who are involved in these business activities quiet. Well, so now, Natalie, explain this to me. If, if they've registered FARA, they know that they are operating as a foreign entity controlled by the Ukrainian government. Does this mean then that Hunter Biden, how does he get away with this by not doing anything? Because we know that they, we've had people, uh, a lot of people on both sides of the aisle. This is what they were going after General Flynn floor for. They were going after so many people uh, for not registering for this. Now, of course, they were going after Tony Podesta for the same deal, by the way. But then they gave him immunity and allowed him to retroactively file. When it comes to Hunter Biden, they this is black letter law. This is a black letter law headshot, legally speaking, 
for Hunter Biden. Why won't the administration or anybody do anything about this? Well, he gets away with it. Not just that we live in a two-tier justice system. I think that's too nice. If anything, it's, it's a three-tier. It's not really a justice system at all. That's how he's able to get, to get away with it. So that's why we need Congress to step up and initiate a, a, substantive, a substantive and substantial impeachment inquiry into the Biden crime family. And look, this law firm is the top tier criminal defense law firm, right? The fact that Burisma is hiring sort of is, is a buried lead, I would say. But they're, like I said, retroactively registering for activities that they were engaged in in 2016. That's, what is it, eight, now nine years, right? So I think this shows that the Biden world of people, the people who are tied up with these Hunter Biden business activities, are actually starting to get scared um, of a potential impeachment inquiry the same day they filed this fair registration was when it hit the news cycle that they were going uh, to proceed with filing subpoenas and other document requests with Hunter Biden. So as much as you know, we're critics of Congress and all these investigations in the war room because we don't think that they provide actual accountability, I think the, the other side, the people who are on the, the corrupt side of the, the trade in this case are actually starting, starting to sort of feel the pressure. And I think that's why you see this retroactive registration. But from, from the Hunter Biden perspective, I mean, you know, we could go on, we could fill, you know, a year's worth of your show with examples of lawfare. But, you know, Hunter Biden is going to get away from it, um, at least until Joe Biden is removed from office uh, come Donald Trump's return. Um, so I think what we need to focus on now is just having these congressional uh, committees gather the evidence while we still have the majority, albeit slim. Um, and then when Trump, you know, reasserts control, rightfully so, after over the DOJ and we restore the rule of law in this country, I think that's when we actually it's not even go after that sounds like it's politically or partisan motivated, uh, but actually just have justice run its course. Because if Rudy Giuliani's house is getting raided for violating FARA uh, when he didn't really even and it was certainly by orders of magnitude less than Hunter Biden. Uh, how can you say we live in a fair country if Hunter Biden is is getting away with it and frankly not even having to pay taxes on the revenue that he's making? Well, it's 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 simple, right? So I actually do think because they know, keep in mind, that the Bidens have an election coming up this year. This is why Biden's down at the uh, he's at the the church where Dylan Roof um, committed the mass murder back in 2015. So he's commemorating an event that happened during the Obama administration, yet somehow blaming that on Trump when Trump, I think, had just started running for the presidency, has nowhere near office at that, that uh, at that point, same way that he blamed Charlottesville on President Trump for his run last time around. Biden is realizing that he's got problems. That's why they're going around trying to cover their bases, going to these people saying, look, you got to file for this, file the paperwork, we'll make it go away, because he knows that all of this is going to come up. Look, if Biden makes it to the debates, these are the types of questions that will come up at the debate stage. He knows at this point there's a couple of things that will come up at that debate. One of them certainly is going to be the border, there's no question, but the main one, I think, is really going to be the fact that Biden lied to the American people at the debate in 2020. Now, President Trump coming up fast forward to f this fall, if Biden is able to make it there, that they're able to prop him up like weekend at Bernie's and get him up there, Trump will have the ability to finally question Biden again on this the way that no one has to. And he's not going to have Kristen Welker over there to cut him off when he brings up Hunter Biden in the laptop the way she did last time.
Well, I also think it's important to to stress because I think in the sort of messaging wars that we see about Hunter Biden, um, it, it seems that we don't really push back when they say, oh, well, you know, conservatives are just going after Hunter Biden. They're deranged. You know, he's a poor drug addled son. We need, you know, people should be focusing on getting him help. That's not really true. It's also, I think, mind blowing. The way the media portrays Hunter Biden, you would think he's like in his 30s, right? They had never have any accountability or agency on his part. He's like in his late 50s. So he's consciously making all these decisions. But the media has obviously ran cover for him. Um, but I think the important point, and like you said, when this comes up in the debates and moving forward, is that Hunter Biden, his business deals didn't occur in a vacuum. There are lasting ramifications for the business deals that he pursued, right? The Chinese Communist Party wasn't giving him money uh, because he was a, a brilliant legal mind. They were giving him money. They wanted the ROI. It's part of their elite capture, as you and I call it, elite merger program. And you are seeing the I part of that. You're seeing the ROI play out right now in present day. Just look at the Chinese spy balloon. Look at the Biden regime revising their border policies so more Chinese Communist Party invaders can enter the United States. There are lasting ramifications of the deals Hunter Biden has pursued. No, there's no question. All right, Natalie Winters coming up with us after the break. We're going to hit Fauci and a new project she's working on. Fauci, by the way, back in Washington, D.C. Let's find out what's going on there. Stay tuned. When I'm working long hours, I'm always listening to Human Events with Jack Posobiec. All right, Natalie Winters. So Dr. Anthony Fauci has returned to Washington, D.C. He is at the Senate. He's at the Oversight Committee, the Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus Pandemic, which was established last year. He is testifying today. Natalie Winters, give us a quick update. What have we learned from Fauci in just the past couple of days? Do you think anything will come out of this testimony today? What are we finding out behind closed doors? Well, look, I'm not holding my breath. I think the uh, leadership of the COVID select subcommittee is not particularly of the fire breathing ilk, uh, Wenstrup in particular. Uh, the fact that these depositions, these interviews are occurring behind closed doors, I think is sort sort of tells you all you need to know. Uh, Nonetheless, I think we will get some substantive information out of it, depending if the transcripts are released, you know, how they're going to sort of get the actual information out. But I, I think what's more interesting with the Fauci stuff, and it go, goes back to our last segment, right, how the regime protects its own. Um, there was a bombshell story breaking over the weekend. Uh, documents obtained by the U.S. Right to Know Foundation show that Sure Jung Lee, Thank you for helping me with my pronunciation. It was you, Jack, who corrected me. I used to say she, uh, Jung Lee. Um, but sure, 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 and she visited uh, the U.S.-based, the NIAD, the, the agency that Fauci ran, um, headquarters in 2017 to speak and lecture uh, alongside Peter Doshak of Equal Health Alliance fame about their coronavirus bat research, the very same project that I would argue eventually led to COVID-19. Now, people should go read the story. It's, you know, everywhere. Read it the Daily Mail. But what the buried lead here and why it harkens back to our last segment is that these were documents that have obviously been around since 2017. The U.S. Right to Know Foundation has been has been filing FOIA requests to get access to them for years now. And when they gave them the initial response to the request, they did not include the documents that allowed them to write this story in that initial grant. 
Now, as someone who's filed a bunch of FOIA requests myself, uh, you usually get around 50%, somewhere around that number, of the content that you're actually asking for. They redact the rest of it. So U.S. Right to Know had to sue our own government that our tax dollars fund to get access to these records that they said they couldn't release, right, because it was classified or sensitive material. Nothing about this is classified or sensitive. They just didn't want this story to get out there. So it just shows you from the lawfare perspective, from the covering up, from the unequal you know, system of justice, just how, how rigged the system is to defend its own, like the Anthony Fauci's of the world. And I remember when I, back when I was at the National Pulse, I would file a ton of FOIA requests about Anthony Fauci. And he was on, on, on tape saying, you know, oh, I don't understand any of these FOIA requests. Read all my emails, do whatever you want. But then it actually turns out was one of the FOIA requests that we were kind of working through that Fauci had to approve every single email of his for clearance, for review, for release. So he's clearly lying about this. And it just shows you that they don't want this information to come out. So I'm sure those seven hours of testimony today, there's been a lot of rehearsing going into that uh, on his part to get the narrative right. Um, but again, it just shows you uh, how the system really does protect its own. And Anthony Fauci is indeed one of uh, the system's own. Oh, I, I appreciate your dogged uh, and determined um, uh, <laughs> investigation into Fauci, the fact that you're not letting him go, the fact, and even while so many other people are. We know that Natalie Winters is the type of person, when she throws herself into something, she is going in 100%. And that's why when you reached out to us the other day with a new project, I said, what's this project? Come on the show. We can talk about it. You've done incredible work in the past. But this is something in a bit of a different vein, if I, if I may venture, as to be so bold. It is. It's action, action, action. You know, my lifelong quest has been to take down the CCP. And I got tired of giving my money, not just to companies that hate me, but supporting the globalist, you know, model of, of outsourcing to China. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to start a clothing brand that's entirely USA made. I, I worked tirelessly to make sure that the price point of it was on par with, you know, China made goods. So you don't have to pay that ridiculous premium. That's something that's really unique about it. And I also wanted to sort of fix, I would say the, the void in the market for women's political apparel. And just if you think for yourself, if you don't buy into mainstream narratives, I got a shirt that says low social credit score, got hats that say miss MISS information, a little bit conspiratorial, just fun plays. You know, we can always use more humor and ironic humor uh, in the world today. Uh, but it's done on silhouettes that are actually made for women. I'm sure you all have those cute political T-shirts in your closet, but you can't wear them because they're too boxy. We know there's a difference between men and women, so I thought it was about time we put women in women's silhouettes. It's also a great Valentine's Day gift if you're a guy. And today, because I was actually getting a bunch of, of hate from the War Room Posse, the male side, because I didn't have any designs for them, I launched some uh, some fun bumper stickers with some of the War Room slogans on them. So... Knock yourself out. You can go to she's so right .co and Jack. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah, a hat. Sorry, she's so right .co, you but I want Tanya hat. Tanya hat. So you got yeah, yeah, sure. After. Not on air. Sure, you'll get okay. Yeah, I'll just do that on air, so you and the rest of the doctors can get it. Uh, you can you can swap <laughs> me again with my parents. Purposes. That'll be wonderful. Yeah. yeah, but no. So so wait a minute. I'm confused though because we all know. Uh, you know, she, the men on the war room posse wanted wanted gear that said she's so right on it. Well, I don't understand this. I actually did get some emails of guys asking for male merchandise with She's So Right. But some of our sayings, like the low social credit score one, guys want, want T-shirts, but they're done with a pink uh, screen print on them. 
So they're not, you know, we're, we're modern men here uh, on Human Events Daily, but not that modern. That was actually Sebastian. Yeah, Gorgon yeah, no, that. my guys, my guys aren't <laughs> right? into that. No, I don't think my guys are into that. No, my guys, no, my guys are, we're having the debate right now about whether or not it's gay to drink from a Stanley Cup straw. So <laughs> those are my guys. No, yeah, no, no pink. But, but anyways, I was like, in the meantime, while we work to roll out, the response has been so overwhelming. I was telling you off air, we already had to gotta hire people to help us pack and ship orders so for the guys i made you some stickers so you stop sending me hateful emails <laughs> no, i'm kidding um but no i just it's the, the response to this really has been so overwhelming I'm, I'm so beyond blessed i had no idea what to expect but it shows you jack people don't want to buy in to this model of you know supporting the chinese communist party and wearing and it's, graphic it's all Right. So walk me US through, walk me through real quick. Space. One minute. Where do people go get it? And it's and it's all again, all U.S. supply chain. All U.S. supply chain made here in the heart of Los Angeles. I'm doing everything. Our hats are made in New Jersey. Fun fact: by the same supplier as the Trump campaign. She's so right. Co is the place to go if you want to shop it. It's a great Valentine's Day gift. Uh, you can go to shop. She's so right on all of our socials. And Jack, thank you so much for having me and letting me talk about this. Of course, Natalie. All right, we'll see. We'll see if Tanya Tay's into it. I, I have a feeling that she might be. <laughs> Natalie Winters, everyone. She's so. I guess. I guess we'll have to just say every time she's on, she's so right. You can't argue with her because she's so right. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, you have my permission. To lay it short.